So I think that's the intrigue here. Y'all knew the human element and went into the data. I started with the data and went into the human element because so, in my pro cycling manager game, it's a game. It's not real life. These people in the game don't have feelings. <laughs> Welcome to episode 10 of the Breakaway Simple But Not Easy podcast. Today's guest is Benji Nassin, and this is a fascinating story, a fascinating young man with a background in video gaming, computer programming, and not in cycling, really. So there's kind of two stories here. There's his expertise around bicycle racing that he learned through watching the sport, analyzing data, and wound up becoming an advisor to one of the best teams in the world. At the same time, went through his own personal struggles with fitness and is trying to use the bike as a way to climb out of that and is being incredibly courageous in sharing his story with the world. So just a fascinating young man out there sharing his story on cycling and life and the journey that he's on. And was so excited to have him and really appreciate his courage. This is a fun one, folks. Let's jump into it with Benji Nassen. Thanks. All right. Welcome, Benji. We are here kicking back off the Breakaway podcast with Benji Nassen. Benji is a content creator in the cycling world. Kind of does a lot around bicycle <laughs> racing, Zwift, cycling technology. And Benji, we'll talk about it in a minute, but Benji got connected with Christian through social media. But yeah, welcome, Benji. Stoked to chat and would love to maybe have you just tell us a little bit about yourself tell, for the users who don't know you, listeners who don't know you. Let's start there, man. Sure thing. First of all, thank you very much for inviting me on the podcast here. Really enjoyable. Love doing other podcasts. And well, I'm saying other podcasts mainly because my main doing my main activity recently has been being a co-host on the Lantern Recycling podcast, which analyzes professional cycling at the top end for both men and women cycling, roughly 240 episodes a year. So how are you doing when it comes to the episodes? Oh, yeah. We're counting my fingers. Yeah, we're this is episode nine, I think. <laughs> yeah, we're we're new at this. We're just getting started and we paused it for a bit, but we're about yeah. So you can teach us. You can teach us the way. We'll teach you about cycling. You teach us about podcasting. Hey, everybody has something to offer, eh? But next to the podcast, I've got my own YouTube channel where I initially did Pro Cycling Manager, which is a game, content about that game, trying to build like small teams into Twitter France winning teams and Sometimes that worked. Sometimes I forgot to give a rider water. And then at the end of the race, it's not okay. But it kind of grew out of that towards the end of 2022, because I kind of hit the limit of, I think, the amount of people that play that game that follow me on that YouTube channel. I can't just invent more people that want to play that video game. So I'm trying to kind of step outside of that, step outside of that, more into the cycling world as well, but still make it different than what's already there when it comes to other people creating content about cycling. So, for example, making series where I manage an esports team, for example, or stuff in the future where I'd like to do more about my personal uh, cycling, which is something we'll talk about a bit more on this podcast, I'm guessing. But that's kind of what I'm aiming for at the moment, next to the podcast and perhaps some cycling media stuff in Belgium, but that's just on the side. <laughs> That's just on the side. Yeah. And you found us. So let's talk about the cycling journey a little bit because you found us, you found the breakaway, got in touch with Christian kind of as part of your own cycling journey as a cyclist, right? And looking yeah. for improved performance. Maybe tell us about that journey and, and kind of why you were looking for something and where you want to take your cycling. Well, it kind of goes back a long way for me, my cycling journey, because I didn't originate within cycling as my personal activities. As a kid, while I was playing football in Belgium. For you Americans, that's unfortunately soccer, but the European football term 
I ended up doing that as a child and I was not great at the start, but when I became good at a certain point, I said to my dad, how about I do cycling now? And my dad was like, well, first, when you were a kid, you played basketball, then you became good. And then everybody was doing football and you decided let's do football. And now that you're actually finally getting good at football, you're going to show up and say, you want to do cycling? Nah, 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 nah. You're going to keep doing football now. Okay. So that's how I stuck with football until I got about 14, 13, I think, when my dad ended up in the hospital, unfortunately. He was in coma for two months, and that's when my health kind of declined quite significantly. They thought he had lung cancer, which he didn't have, but he had something else instead, which was pretty bad, which is the reason that he was in coma for two months. And eventually he got out of that, which is amazing, of course, miracle, because I didn't expect it. And I never really got back into the sports instantly after that. And we're talking about being an overweight kid after that. Eh? Let's be honest about it. I was an overweight kid after that. And that kept going because I was a gaming addict basically as a child. And I was going to school as a developer. I wanted to be a coder and so forth. So not the most active job either. And the years continued. And I think it was until last year, after already making some YouTube content about cycling, that I thought to myself, it's now November the 25th of 2021. And I weighed 129 kilos at the time, which I don't know what metric system or imperial system you guys use over there. Like How much is that in yours? 290, 290 pounds right around there. Just shy 300. Okay. Like I'm a meter 92, so that I'm pretty tall, but I would still say that's significantly more than a healthy amount of kilos on my body. So I thought to myself, I need to do something about this. I'm also talking on my podcast about other people cycling, judging their cycling the professional scene, I was like, maybe if I do more about my cycling, then I will come over better. So it was also an aspect to it, more the self-confidence thing. And I also hadn't, outside of the podcast, shown my own face, my own body and so forth, on my own content yet. So on the side, we started doing camera-based podcasts at the start of 2021. And I genuinely... Barely slept for three days in advance to that because I wasn't sure how are people going to feel that this guy is a bit overweight and talking mm. about cycling all the time. So I had to do something about it. November 2021 is when I decided I got to do something about it. And in the next year, I started riding a six days out of seven, basically for the first five, six months, which let's be honest about it, going from zero to six out of seven days, not instantly, of course, gradually building it up as much as possible. The first day is it's a mere 10 kilometers the first day and I'm dying. So the next day, 12 kilometers and I'm dying as well. 15 kilometers and I'm dying. So it becomes larger, the amount of kilometers that I spent cycling, but I was still dying at the end. And it was taking two, three months before I really noticed that first I was losing weight because in the first six months, I went from 129 kilos to about 115, something like that, which is a significant difference, 14 kilos off. Like I didn't imagine this last year. And I continued this basically onwards for the rest of the year until we're now as of recording this in December. And I've lost 20 kilos since the day I started looking after myself a bit more. That's both on the sports basis and both on the nutrition basis where I ate a lot of crap and now I eat less crap. But it's most of all that I started riding more regularly. But I did notice in the last few months that, yes, I've lost 20 kilos. I'm still not where I want to be. 
I want to be better in the future. I want to improve my fitness even more. I want to lose some more weight. And I want to be able to create some content about that, content about, for example, my own cycling journey in the next couple of months to a year and so forth. So that's where we are right now. Does that sound like a relatively complete story to y'all? Dude, thank you very much, first of all, for sharing that with us. That's a great story. And I have to say, I stumbled upon Benji. So before Benji actually reached out, I stumbled upon him while I'm doing my research for the Tour de France, especially since I've been in Stanford, Connecticut and not in France. Sometimes it's hard to get information. So I stumbled across Benji over Twitter and then, of course, his podcast. And yeah, I thought like when I saw you guys, I'm like, first of all, who are these kids telling and having (laughs) very like bold statements about professional cycling? But all it did, it took me five minutes to get over that though, Benji, weight alone, all those kind of things. It was more just the youth aspect of it, not knowing who you were. Yeah. But after five, 10 minutes, I was like, these guys know what they're talking about. And obviously you guys have been because you've been going about this for hundreds of episodes and you have a great following. So first of all, I have to thank you because I did get some good nuggets for TV. So thank you very much for giving me some good information. But, no but problem, more, no more, problem. More importantly, Benji, that is a fantastic story. Dropping 45 pounds on the bike and who knows where you come out in the next couple of years, man. Especially now we're going to help you train a little bit in the future. This is going to be fun. Tenerife tomorrow. Ha ha ha. I don't know. I'm kind of stressed about it. I'm mostly stressed about the descending and not the climbing. I'm like, I'll climb until I can. As long as I can, I'll keep climbing in Tenerife. But is it ascending where I'm like, will I survive the descent? That's the biggest question. <laughs> Worst case scenario, it's walking down. <laughs> I think, Jordan, this brings up a unique perspective because usually in pro cycling, especially what Benji's doing as a pro cyclist analyst, you come from the sport. You grew up with the sport. Yep. I mean, I know no different. My father was a professional cyclist. I didn't have a choice in my life. I'm here because of him and and his father, Belgian heritage in general, and did cycling. It is the mecca of cycling. And Benji lives right in the middle of it. So he's pretty much going right into the NFL, if you will, if he was American. <laughs> but it's rare that we have it in cycling where you have somebody who was a gamer and now he's getting into the sport from the opposite side. So I think that's the unique story that you have, Benji, and we love to help you. I think there's also the aspect of like, I was that gamer playing pro cycling manager a lot. And... I think the knowledge came because this game releases in like June. So that's in the middle of the season. But let's say the game releases in 2023, in June 2023, with the 2023 jerseys and kits of the teams and so forth. And I was that like coding guy that was like, how can I fix this so that in January, we can already play with the new jerseys and the new kits and the new riders and the transfers for next season. So together with a bunch of great community members behind the well, who are playing that game as well. We worked on like making sure that the transfers were available for players all over the world already as like some add-on people could download for their game. And I think the research that I had to do to figure out what this random continental rider from Eastern Europe or from Asia or from Southern America or a Belgian rider that joined a Conti team, Sibel Sabon, for example, which was like a small Conti team three, four years ago, like researching those writers is probably what got me the knowledge eventually to be able to do a podcast about cycling so in-depthly where I could say, oh, this rider will do very well on this parkour. This is a rider that was 19 years old, rode for this random continental team five years ago and is now showing up on the scene, stuff like that. And I think it comes from there that like, generally, I think I know my cycling knowledge because I played video games as a kid. (laughs) <laughs> but I think that's that's kind of how much cycling has changed. And I think that's what's so interesting here, right? So Christian and I were talking about this beforehand, right? So we got a couple of decades on you. 
And Christian, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a pro level. My dad wasn't a professional, but I grew up riding bikes. Christian's laughing because he knows my dad. But I grew up riding bikes. I did my first century when I was 10 years old. I started racing bikes when I was 13. It's been the same thing. I don't know any different. You know, I met my wife on the bike. And Christian and I started when the data, you know, day one for both of us was no data. You just go ride your bike, (laughs) right? I mean, literally, it didn't exist, right? There were a period of years there where you had a speedometer or a cycling computer, which showed you time, speed, and distance. That's it, Yeah. right? And that was amazing, right, to see your speed. (laughs) And then heart rate. And then, I mean, you know, over the years. So we have evolved to start to understand data with what we do to where now we have, you know, continuous blood glucose monitors and everything else. Right. And I was joking, Christian, before, like, you're kind of like, you know, your generation, you, you're like the Bane in the Batman movie of data, right? You were born of the darkness, right? Like we've just adapted (laughs) to it, but you were born into the data, right? And you even coming from gaming, right? Coming from a digital background and gaming, you started the sport probably thinking what data am I, you, you knew about the data, Right before yeah. you even threw a leg over over a top tube to pedal a bike, which just changes the whole dynamic, right? And so, I would love to hear your thoughts on, you know, how that's affected you. You know, coming into the sport, thinking about it through data. What do you love about it? What do you not love about? It? What's missing out there? Yeah, maybe touch on that. I think there's multiple aspects to it. On one end, I come from that gaming background that makes me think about the numbers behind the scenes and. How can I judge whether this rider is better than the other rider on this climb, for example? Do we have data that supports that this rider is better at longer climbs versus shorter climbs, stuff like that, to figure out for that game back in the day, are this rider is better than at longer climbs? So I had to like look at the data to be able to analyze that stuff. So that is there. But the danger is also that when we then ventured into actual professional cycling, that we need to keep in mind that they're also human. So data is very valuable, but... The human side of things influences quite a bit in real cycling. And I think I learned that even more in my last year, because for people that aren't aware in the last year, from February onwards until December, I worked with Jumbo Visma during the classics and the Tour de France on tactical consultancy and also video analysis. But next to that, there's also data being used to be able to decide certain tactics when can Jonas Vingegaard attack, for example, in the Tour de France? At what point can a Wout van Aert best beat this rider? How long does he need to sprint for X amount of seconds at X amount of watts to be able to beat a van der Poel in 1v1? All that kind of stuff. That needs to be considered when you're deciding tactics and so forth. So I think I learned even more throughout the last year how much that human element also influences that. So I think that's the intrigue here. Y'all knew the human element and went into the data. I started with the data and went into the human element. Because in my pro cycling manager game, it's a game. It's not real life. These people in the game don't have feelings. (laughs) I love that. I love that combination. But I want to back up for a second and make sure our listeners understand this. You've never raced a bike. You've never been a professional. And you were hired by the greatest team last year on the planet. Yomo Visa had a pretty good team. They had argue they had a decent year to give them strategy and race analysis. Like, this is amazing. This is insane, right? I mean, in a positive way, right? And good for- Jordan is being sarcastic. They were the best team in the world by a long shot. By a long shot. (laughs) And so, like, talk about how that came about, because that is a paradigm, tectonic, glacial, whatever other big word I can come up with, shift in how we think about sport, right? I think the intriguing aspect is that it probably started smaller than what it became, as in it started as in, do some video analysis for us. Because we know that you can chop up videos and we know that you understand the sport relatively. So we think you can do that. By the way, got a 
fully disclosed. I did this together with my podcast host, Patrick Bro. Credits to that guy as well. He did the same, if not more work than me on this aspect as well. But it started basically as like video analysis, cropping up stuff and doing that. But I think along the way, throughout the first few months, they realized, okay, these guys know a lot more than just cropping up cycling related clips and so forth and figuring out that analysis. And I think it grew. The more you talk to people, the more they realize, okay, maybe these people have something more to offer. And when given the opportunity, we can try and prove that. And it was a pretty fruitful partnership. I can't disclose like specific aspects of where we helped out or what that occurred and what specifics I worked on, for example. But I did that for the year. I did have some backlash throughout the year because I obviously combined that with the podcast. But we made sure at the start that we said, okay, if we're going to do this, the first thing I asked Meren Zeman when he called me, I was walking in the Ardennes, in Belgian Ardennes, in the middle of a forest, when he called me in February and said, do you want to do like video analysis for us? We're looking for this kind of person to do this. And I was like, I can only do this if there's some kind of thing in the contract that says that I can 100% say whatever I want on the podcast about Jumbo Visma and every person involved with that. And they didn't care. And not at a single moment throughout the year, they cared about anything we said. And uh, I'd argue we roasted them quite a bit during Basque Country at the first week of the Tour de France. So I think there's definitely some moments that they could have come to us and said, we're not okay with this. And we probably would have said, well, that's your problem. <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of the story there, I think. So I think that's an interesting statement on where sports in general have come, right? In that you know, if you go back, you know, Christian, even when you were racing, there was data, but it wasn't as data driven as we are now, right? I mean, they know, right, the calculations on when to chase, when to do this. Everyone understands yeah. watts per kilogram, right? It's so data driven that we see the shift was, in how that was, happens. Yeah, it, was, it was getting there, Jordan, and it was just but a few teams. And just like Yumbo Vismo taking the, the stance of hiring somebody like Benji. I mean, that's a big jump again and just thinking outside the box. There's only a couple of teams that really thought outside the box. It was always kind of like, oh, this is what we've been doing since the 70s and Eddie Merckx did it. So just keep on doing it. And obviously, everyone who has that mentality, they're off the back. So I have to commend Yumbo for even thinking about doing something. It's just every other real sport in the world does tons of data analytics, of, especially yeah. in film. You know exactly what happened. And especially when you're looking at the, your opponent's and why don't we do that, especially in the classics like you did, Benji? So it makes tons of sense. But I want to get back to what you said with the human aspect. And that's huge. You know, we talk about that all the time. And that's why we try to keep it open. So if we're doing training, for example, we're not going to give you, Ed, with a breakaway, a seven-day program. Because everyone's <laughs> life, you have a life outside of cycling. Like, what if I miss Monday's training schedule? Oh, my week is done. Forget about it. So no, it's what you can do throughout the week. And the same thing goes for professional cycling all the way through. Even then, like... They're not robots. You can't say like, why didn't he attack? Well, he couldn't, you know, or his wife is sick or kids are sick at home. I think there's all these outstanding circumstances that go into it. So yeah, I'm happy to hear that already. You're starting to think that way. If I delve deeper in the last year, I noticed that timing was the biggest issue for me when it comes to training. As in, you're saying that not everybody has seven days a week to train. I agree with that. And that was the thing where I realized in 2021, I was combining a full-time coding job with doing the podcast on the side and YouTube and stuff. I didn't have the time to do my training until I quit my job in January, early January this year in 2022, like the development job, the coding job. When that was gone, I was able to put that time into both making better content and looking after my own health. And it's that time that came free that was really the 
freeing element for me that allowed me to train without feeling like I was using up all my free time for it in the first few months. Later, when it started becoming fruitful, I was like, oh, I've got more free time. Let's spend it all on the training. So it kind of grew gradually, the will to spend the free time on the training as well. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you need that positive feedback loop, right? It starts to feel better. You want to do more of it, right? Yeah. You know, training's not always fun, right? But progress is fun, right? Feeling like you're making progress is fun. So, you know, going out on those days, no matter who you are, there's days yeah. where you're like, I don't want to go to the gym. I don't want to get on the bike. I don't want to do it, right? It's way easier to do that if you've got momentum and progress and things are moving in the right direction than if they're not. But Benji, maybe talk a little bit about, you know, so coming from the standpoint of, working with the number one team in the world, having access to data. You know, you've come from this just data-rich background, seeing how sports and tactics and training. So now here you are and you're like, you personally want to get better, right? How are you looking at the world, the ecosystem? What have you learned from your time and everything from, you know, gaming to Yomo Visma to just kind of being a consumer, right? Because again, you know, now, and I love the story here of being newer to the sport where it's like you yeah. show up and it's like, okay, there's, 10,000 bike choices, there's 40 apps, there's 100 yeah. web websites. I mean, you're just flooded with opportunities and options. How did you start to kind of distill it down? Or how do you think about that for your own journey? How are you thinking? Firstly, about I'd firstly say that one vital aspect for me is the, the gamification combined with the data. As in, when I am training, I want to afterwards be able to analyze my training and if I train again the next day or the week after, I want to be able to compare those two and see, have I gotten better or have I gotten worse? Because when I see, for example, that I do a bit of a sprint yesterday and I do a bit of a sprint today and I take a look at my data today and I, I see all oh, my sprint has gotten better, that will motivate me to do even more next time, to try even to beat a different kind of record, to beat a long-term effort, beat my 20-minute FTP, whatever, stuff like that. But also the opposite end, where I also get motivated by the opposite end, which is very useful, of course. When I see that I got worse, I'm not really the kind of person that says to myself, oh, damn it, I got worse. I should give it all up. I'm more the person that says, damn it, let's try and get that next time. And that makes it really powerful, the data that is given to me by any app about my ride that the day later I can say, oh, this motivated me again to go further even next time. But you're right. There's so many apps out there. There's so many bike choices, equipment choices. And in all honesty, it's very difficult to find the perfect ones out there. But I feel like I just picked the ones that fit to my needs. And for example, the breakaway was one where I could literally see on my ride that I did yesterday. Okay. Your sprint is not that great at that point. And today I can say to myself, I'll hop on my indoor trainer and say, let me try and beat that. Let me try and get a tiny bit better today, a tiny bit better than yesterday. And that's the vital aspect here. I don't need to see like massive progress in a day. I want to see gradual progress every so often so that over time I can look back at a, a year from now and look at me a year earlier and say, damn, I've gotten a lot further. And when I do that right now, I'm looking at a guy that was like 20 kg more weight. So I can look at a year ago and say, I'm proud of what I've achieved there. Not only at a physical side, but I think it did a lot when it comes to my self-confidence. Because a year ago, you probably wouldn't be seeing me recording myself bike riding, recording myself throughout my regular day and putting it on the internet because I was conscious about my weight. I was conscious about my 
every doing and so forth. And even the 20 kilos that were off already, substantial self-confidence boost because you feel it in control. And I think the control aspect is a really important one. Yeah, man. That's, I mean, I give you a ton of credit and courage for taking the journey yourself. And then honestly, for you know, publicizing it, right? So it's one, you know, yeah. we all have, we all have stuff that we deal with on our own kind of like self-confidence and personal journeys, right? It's one thing to address that. It takes courage to address that. It takes a whole nother yeah. level of courage to put it on film, right? And to put it out there. So I, I, yeah. I give you a ton of props for that. And it's such a cool thing to watch someone who has a love for the sport to then come in and start doing it, right? Because you had a love for the yeah. sport before you did it, right? Yeah. And you probably understood the sport clearly better than most from a tactical level, right? And a strategy level and a data level. Before you actually started saying like, "Hey, I'm going to get, I'm going to yeah. work work on it myself," and it's also intriguing because I feel like my personal training might even gain me some more knowledge when it comes to the actual pros doing it. For example, because sure. I can easily say, "Oh, this rider is riding 4.8 watts per kilo on this climb for 15 minutes," and say, "Okay, that's a met performance. He should have been doing seven watts per kilo if like the best rider in the world." For example, but <laughs> then we're looking at myself, and I'm like damn, I'm not even half of what these riders are performing. I'm not, I'm like at 25% of what these riders are doing. So it's like how crazy they have to train themselves, not on a short term, but on a long term to get into that top physical state, to be able to perform the, what they are doing at the moment on the Tour de France, for example, is crazy and gives me a bit more a- admiration extra towards the sport, I think. I agree with that. And that's one of the reasons I still ride as much as I do, just because it gives me that kind of perspective and reminds me yeah. how hard it is. Cause it's easy to, to think of myself of 2008 form and it's, <laughs> and it's easy to forget how hard it was to get that kind of form. So it's a lot of times when you see pundits on TV, just saying, Oh, well, why does this guy do this? I'm like, well, dude, do you remember what it's like? Maybe you forgot. And there's, uh, there's too many of those kind of people who talk on television and on Twitter, obviously it goes on and on. So I think that <laughs> kind of perspective is fantastic. And we have that actually in the breakaway where you could follow some people who are on the pro tour, like Rowan Dennis, things like that. And it is, it's staggering. You know, the math goes the wrong way real quickly when you're putting a little bit of weight on and your Watts aren't the same, yeah. everything goes the wrong way quickly. And the numbers truly are insane. And every year it gets higher and higher and the standards get higher and higher. And to be honest with you, even at an amateur level, you see, 50-year-olds going out and doing rides that 20, 30 years ago, Jordan, that we'd go to be a, a Grand Fondo or a group ride. And these guys are 10, 20% stronger than they've ever been. They might not have any race acumen, but with Zwift and Peloton, they have, first of all have the knowledge that we never had. They know how to train a lot better. They could find anything on the internet. And there's so many things like the breakaway that they could easily get and have to get their hands on where it took us decades to understand. And that's where the best people in the world are reading books and things like this. So yeah, the learning curve is steep for somebody like yourself, Benji, but coming from your your direction and seeing what Van Art puts out for 30 seconds or a minute Crazy. and then trying to compare that. And you're like, what the, how? I mean, he's like a B12 and we're just starting off with Skoda V4s, you know? For the American <laughs> listeners, Skoda is a European car brand. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you know, cycling is unique in data, right? Every sport is data-driven now, many more than others. Cycling in many ways is behind at a professional level, right? Because the money ball stories of, of baseball and football or soccer, as you call it, Benji, right? There's data driving those sports and those enterprises for a long time now, right? But what's where cycling is ahead is that I can't, you know, running is maybe the only other sport. Running and swimming, those endurance sports are the only sports where you can really actually do something 
and then kind of one-to-one data-wise compare that to what the pros do, right? So I can't, nobody can go on a field and feel what it feels like to be messy, right? Or to be close to what messy can do, right? Nobody can go, I can't stand in a, in a, at home, I can't stand there and, and take a pitch from a, a major league baseball, you know, player and kind of get a sense of what that feels like, right? Even if I was a great baseball player, right? You can know in cycling what it feels like to do seven watts per kilo for a second or to do five watts per kilo, right? You can understand what that feels like on your Peloton, on your Zwift, right? You don't even have to be a bike racer. You can know, and then you can watch the best in the world and be like, that's in, and you have, as you said, Benji, you have a totally different appreciation for the sport when you've actually felt what a thousand watts or seven watts per kilo feels like, right? I can, I can watch the world record of the marathon, right? And I can know that I couldn't <laughs> do a quarter mile, right? I can go run a quarter mile and then imagine doing that for 20, you know, so they're, they're crazy. Easy. Unique and cycling is that way every day. Running not really that way because you're not testing that. Cycling every day, you're getting that same day. We're all getting the same data feedback that the best in the world are getting when we ride, right? We have the same recording devices. They're not in general, right? Maybe with the exception of some glucose monitoring, Christian, right? Like day to day, we're all looking at the same data. They're just going faster. When I think through my next year, when it comes to my personal fitness, is also the aspect of like, what can I expect along the way? How is my progress going to evolve in the next year, for example? And I feel like when I look at my possibilities, I'm I'm expecting faster progress at the start than at the end, for example, because it's kind of logical. Yep. Eh? <laughs> Even right now, I've, I've already lost that weight, but I feel like kind of stagnated towards the last three months here going into this next year. And this is when I'm really feeling like, let's go, let's go, let's go. But at what point do you think it's going to switch from that like, honeymoon phase of, oh, I'm seeing my PRs going up every single second, stuff like that, towards a moment where I'm like, oh, now I really have to fight to get a personal record here. After how many months or is that person to person, you think? I think it's person to person. And I was just going to say the same thing. You're definitely in the honeymoon phase. And it's, it's going to be, there's going to be a time where you're going to phase out of that for sure. Like we all do, you know, like, for example, I just got back in the gym. I'm in the honeymoon phase. I get like a month and a half. We're going to make a mass amount of gains (laughs) and then it's going to start plateauing. Yeah. I think everything. And when we speak to Alan Lim and he's been a, a close friend and confidant for me for many years. And He's always reminding me that nothing is linear. Nothing goes straight up. You, you cannot continue to get, what are you getting like 10 to 20% better every month? That's impossible to sustain, right? <laughs> I mean, it's impossible or else you'd be with Yumbo Visma riding next year in the pro tour. So yeah, you're going to, it takes your body time to assimilate. You know, when you put on muscle, when you, you have to mature cardiovascular, when you have to mature muscular, when you lose the weight and then, then change and you have a body shift, mental shift, and then you have to continue to evolve and keep on training more. So first of all, you're not going to have enough time to keep on training. That's going to be your biggest, you know, that's going to be the, the topper on top of you getting better. But apart from that, man, who cares? I mean, it, I think it's really just setting those goals for yourself. The, the micro and the macro goals going forward, but considering you already lost 45 pounds, I mean, that's already commendable. And it's really just putting your goals that you could, you know, get in June, let's say of this year. And then of course, next year, this time of year, where do you want to be? Yeah. And I think there's also the aspect that when we think about the people on the internet that are talking about, oh, this is how you should do fitness. This is how you should do your training and so forth. It's it's different for every single person, of course, but there's also the aspect that I think I'm planning to make content about my journey, my journey in cycling in the next year. I don't know every detail of what that content is going to be like, but the first episode is going to be a form where I do a 
self-test of what my current level of cycling is, an FTP test, a ramp test, combination of both, you'll see in the video. But there's also the aspect that I think people might resemble a bit towards the feeling of, I'm not the perfect athlete. I'm, I'm a shit cyclist. Let's be honest about it. I'm nowhere near a, a top level cyclist. I'm under an amateur cyclist. I'm When I look at my the breakaway app, I, I see myself relatively near the bottom of every single category, but that motivates me to become better in those categories across the year. And I think it might be an intriguing story for people to follow because it's not a pro cyclist doing it, because it's not a top cyclist showing off their skills in that. And because it's a person that just a regular human being that that says to themselves, I need to be a bit more healthy and I'm going to try and do so by cycling a bit more, by doing some fun challenges throughout the year and stuff like that. I totally agree, man. I think what's wonderful and challenging with data now, right, is that you can't, especially, you know, certainly worse if you're if you're a content creator, if you're if you're a celebrity or, you know, micro celebrity like Christian. <laughs> but if you're you know, again, go back to when Christian and I started cycling, right? You could just decide you're going to ride your bike and no one's going to know about it, right? No one's going to see it. And now you almost by default, you kind of have to, right? You're on Strava, you're on social media, people are seeing things, right? That's just kind of how yeah. we do things. So, you know, whether it's at a small level or a large level, right? You wind up kind of having to make your story a little more public as someone getting started. And so I absolutely, I, I can see how, I think it's inspiring. And I think other people would agree that someone starting the sport and chronicling that journey, showing how it can be fun, showing how it can be, get through that steep part of the learning curve that you're in now, right? Hitting a plateau, you know, struggling through that. I mean, we all just yeah. want to be, we all want to be inspired and we all have moments. I don't care whether you're Christian Vanderbilt, like pro tour rider, or Benji Nassen just getting started, right? Like you have days where you're stoked to be on the bike and you have days where you're like, I don't, I don't want to do it. You know, what's my motivation? How do I stay motivated? But this sport and all sports reward longevity and consistency. I mean, I love what you said there with, you know, consistent journaling as well, because there's so many times where you don't appreciate how much better you've gotten. You know, you're looking at yourself in the mirror every day, every minute. It's kind of like your, your kids, you don't, you don't realize how much they've grown, right? And your buddy yep. comes in after two years and he's like, oh my God, how big are your kids? I'm freaking out. Like, oh my God, are they that big? It's the same thing goes yeah. with in cycling when you didn't have any data. You don't really, apart from timing your rides or climbs, things like that, that you would use on your Avocet computer. <laughs> I mean, those are the only things you would really know to see that I've gotten better or racing against somebody else. But Benji, even through some of the plateaus, really just keeping consistent, just like Jordan said, I think is really the number one thing. And it's just the longevity, making sure that you keep on thinking long term. And because, yeah, man, you, there's no doubt about it. You're going to run into a bunch of hurdles. You're going to have months yeah. to you working nonstop or your travel schedule is nuts. You get sick, things like that. Everyone has it from the top to the bottom. So, yeah, I think that really the biggest thing is, is really taking a look back every once in a while and appreciating where you came from. And I think that's that's one of the things that I, I love doing with a breakaway saying, hey, take a step back. Let's think about where you were this time last year. And that's that's a big shift. And then then it's kind of like the aha. And you can feel good about yourself <laughs> and pat yourself on the back. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I get that. You can look back at your career back in the day and then see how far it's fallen. I'm the exactly that's, that's that's where I am, Benji. Thanks for thanks for reminding me. Christian is really grateful that that because I mean, you know, Strava and, and a lot of that stuff, Christian, you know, it doesn't go all the way back for you, right? So you're probably grateful for that because you can't see the numbers now that you were hitting back as easily, right? But Benji, let's, you know, I think I want to wrap it up with two things, right? Christian, I think we should kick our homework assignment back off, right? And I'll tell you about that in a second, Benji. But 
Also, let's check back in. I mean, let's let's do this again in some number of months. And let's see where your fitness journey, you know, would love to just, I, you know, I know we'll be talking, but would love to check back in in another podcast and like walk through, you know, so it's December now, like sometime in the spring or summer, right? Let's do this again. Sure. And let's just hear, hear the progress and see some data. And here's, you know, the data and human side of, right, yeah. right. Like the data is going to tell you some progress, but then the human side of how are you feeling and what's working and what's not. But yeah, really appreciate the journey that you're, that you're taking and taking everyone along with. We've done a thing called these homework assignments. When we wrap the podcast up, we've had a lot of ex-professionals, you know, some of the best in the world on here and said, Hey, what's your, what's your homework assignment for our listeners? What can they go do to, you know, improve their nutrition, improve their training? What's something actionable they can do? So my question for you is for someone out there thinking, you know, maybe intimidated, or I want to get started, or I want to improve, or I want to get back to where I was when I was here or there, you know, what's your advice or homework or how, you know, give someone some, some inspiration or what did you do to kind of take that hurdle from, I want to improve to, all right, I'm, I'm doing it. I think an aspect for me is that it kind of required me to come out of my comfort zone to get started with things. As in when I was in the environment back in the day, living with my parents and so forth, I was still in that feeling of like, is this going to be awkward when I certainly tell my parents like, I'm going to go for a bicycle ride. And they're going to be like, mate, you haven't moved all year. So I <laughs> That thing scared me, being able to tell to people, I'm actually going to act on it because that that gives accountability. As in, when I say to my parents back in the day, I say, I'm going to start cycling. And that makes it more real. And that causes some kind of fear to happen inside where you're like, oh God, now these people can remind me every single week. Have you gone for a ride this week? Have you gone for a ride this week? I'd say the thing that changed it for me is when I realize that I'm doing it for myself and that I shouldn't care about what other people think about it. That I should look and find something within myself that says, this is the reason that I'm doing this. And that key reason for me was, one, I feel like it was limiting me, the self-confidence issues when it comes to my weight. That was a major thing for me. And two, if I did this, if I made myself a better cyclist, I could make content about it in the future cycling and so forth. So those two things were the things I found in myself. And I, I thought to myself, these are the reasons that I want to do it. To become better than I am today, I need to get past that limit of my self-confidence to be able to create more stuff in the future and to be more free in what I want to do in the future. I'd say find that thing for you. That's a very, very vague advice, very shit homework. But find that one thing for you that gets you across the line. Does that make any sense? Uh, and outside your comfort zone, more that's, importantly. That's the okay. piece. I mean, if you have to distill it down, it's like growth comes from being outside your comfort zone, right? Yep. I mean, that really is. And it's easy to forget and it's easy to lose sight of that. And I think a lot in the world wants to push us into a comfort zone, right? Yep. And so the ability to step out of that. Benji, during my career, I had a lot of fear of failure. And I think we all do to a certain extent. But it's there's one thing when you are in the public eye, which you are is different, right? I mean, there's one thing to say to yourself, I want to do this and work, but no one really knows. But you're doing it in front of thousands of people on YouTube. And I was doing it in front of thousands of people on television. And for me, it was saying that I wanted to be top 10 in the Tour de France. And I said that to my my coach, AJ Van Diemen. And he's like, are you sure about this? I mean, it took me months for, for me to tell yeah. him this in the off season. And he kind of like laughed at me a little bit. And that pissed me off. And that just made me even more determined to do so. But I was... That was really one of the first times in my career that I'd actually put myself out there on a limb and did it. And yeah, I got fourth place that year. And you know, that was incredible 
result for myself and the team. But it really, if I would have just stayed in my safe zone, I would have had a great career. You know, I wouldn't have had the stress. Everything would have been fine. But I would have never put myself into that kind of situation. So yeah, yeah I, I I commend you for that, and uh, I try to continue to put myself out of my <laughs> comfort zone from time to time. Maybe not getting any top tens and grand tours anymore, but uh, you know, there's always Watch ways out. in different ways. In three years, we're gonna have a one v one on Alduez, Okay. <laughs> Love it. Let's do it. I have a better, oh, I have a better idea. Not. Yeah, I have a better idea. And I'm not going to hold you guys to this because I always put Christian on the spot. But I would love some type of... You guys, maybe we figure this out this spring. I would love some type of who improves more over the course of <laughs> some months. That challenge is a bit biased towards my side, I feel like. We'd have to do it with a duration long enough, right? So it's yeah. like, you know, it's got to be something in minutes, not seconds. Right. We'll think about that. I'm not, I'm not holding yeah. anyone to that, but I think there's an awesome story between, you know, Benji as a newcomer to the sport, you know, climbing the ladder, what it takes you to gain 10% in something. And then Christian with, you know, decades, more miles, more, I'm more start years sandbagging in his legs. right now. I have your data, man. I know exactly where you're starting from. More years in your legs than Benji, Benji has on this planet. Yeah. There could be something there. So we'll see. We'll see. I'm, I'm not going to hold you guys to it. Yeah, Benji, man, this was great. Thank you for the time. But I, I am honestly, and I've learned this today, and I'm so inspired, honestly, man, and touched that you're sharing this with us and with our listeners and willing to put yourself out there like that in a way that, you know, as Christian said, like, it's easy for all of us to go say, I'm going to go try something and fail in, in privacy, yeah. right? And you're putting yourself <laughs> out there in a very, very public way to say, I'm going to go after something. And so it, it takes a, an insane amount of courage. And so I just, I, I appreciate that and appreciate you sharing that with us. I think it's because I hope that whatever I'm doing can inspire that one person that's limited by their self-confidence in doing stuff like this to cross that border and perhaps do it for themselves. If that makes sense. I love it. Thanks, right, buddy. I appreciate it. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Simple But Not Easy podcast from The Breakaway. Podcast is a production of Breakaway Industries, and that's pretty much it from a legal standpoint. I think at this point, I don't think we have to add anything else, but we appreciate you listening. Check out The Breakaway at breakaway.app. You can listen to our podcast on Apple or Spotify. And if you have any questions, concerns, thoughts, feedback, or ideas for guests, hit us up at info at breakaway.app, info at breakaway.app. We love hearing from people. We appreciate you listening, and we hope to see you out there. Thanks. Thanks.